morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome back to Cozy Chat. Welcome back, everyone. As I said before, I'm sorry for the inconsistent release schedule. I don't think that's going to be solved anytime soon. I'm trying my best, but I just have so many things going on, especially this year. But I'll keep pushing, but I'm always happy to keep on uh, creating and making this project go on because it is fulfilling its purpose. It's helping me have different conversations, connecting me to different people. And I'm also always interested in hearing back from everyone who messages me and saying what they learned. And yeah, always feel free to do that more. And you can always uh, contact the guests as well because they're also open to communication and answering some questions that everyone may have. I'm not going to take too much of the time, I'm going to give the floor to Abe and he's going to go deeper into renewable energy and what place it has for the energy landscape in the next few years. So let's go. ...by thousands of, of people doing administrative tasks um, and actually that, that is not an, not an efficient process, especially when you think of the different layers and different organisations involved with running that in all the different middlemen uh, to facilitate a global transaction. And now with Bitcoin, you have one protocol, one network that is running the entire thing. It's, it's a far more efficient way of, of transmitting value around the world. Um, and I, I'd also say that I'm not sure how many countries still hold gold reserves, uh, but I imagine quite a few do. So the, the thing which props up the value of, um, of fiat currency, if anything now, is, is gold reserves. And um, that's why current, the countries which have done away with the gold standard under the Bretton Woods Agreement, since, that since the gold standard was, was abolished, money has been depreciating over time. Um, so, yeah, and, and, and the fact that gold is still a, a, store, a store of value indicates to me that it's, it's, it's more energy wasteful to, do, to get gold out of the ground than it is to produce a, 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 you know, to a cryptographic process which creates a very complex number which gives it value. Yeah. And uh, with gold, the issue isn't just about the, the energy required, but also there's the communities, the people who are involved in that. There's a documentary on, I think, the illegal mining in Peru. And there's actually areas where it's illegal to mine gold, but people still do it. And it's also used as a way for gangsters to launder any money to America, for example, because they can't do with cash anymore. And the thing is, they just bring them in. And the KYC is so funny because the mention users who ask these people, like, is this code illegal? And they're like, no. And that's it, that's the check. And they just mm. melt it, make it look clean, they give it to Apple, they give it to all the jewelry makers. Some yeah. of the thing goes to the Federal Reserve, even they don't know how much of the code Yeah, of course, but that, that's, that's exactly right. You cannot prove the, the provenance of, of an element. Um, there's another a good documentary you should watch called Blood in the Mobile. And it's around the, uh, the the blood that has been shed to get the material to go into our mobile phones, um, and they, they even went to Nokia in Finland in it, who were the probably most ethical ma manufacturer at the time, to try and say, do you use conflict minerals in your phones? And they couldn't they couldn't say no. They they, they basically they washed their hands. Well, you know, we've got no control over it. It goes into the global mix, and we then can't see where our minerals are coming from. So it, it is it is very much like that. It's so it's the thing where I find it. I think the newspapers are doing a they're doing a great job on making Bitcoin look evil, like oh it's used for for criminals, it's for money launderers. But every financial system is for these people too. And if you look at the volume, 
is much higher volume going to gold and cash and the ASO in terms of yeah, yeah, that is Bitcoin is not and the Bitcoin is not anonymous. It's it's public. It's on a public ledger. So um, I'm sure drug dealers use cash. You know, I, I've never I've never seen a movie where they slide a nano ledger across a car park in a briefcase. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're they're sliding briefcases of cash because it's anonymous. Yeah. Um, and so, and cartels put their launder their money through through global banks. I mean, HSBC was was flagged as being involved with money laundering through through Mexican cartels. Um, and and these organisations which are basically saying that Bitcoin is used for money laundering. It's like it's Bitcoin is a public ledger. Um, it, it's actually there to prevent. It can be used to, to prevent this kind of activity behaviour, which should be being harnessed. But it makes me question um, whether. There is so much um, corruption going on in in that kind of level of the world's organisation, which makes them not want to to stop money laundering. You know, do, uh, are there enough players and bad actors in positions of power, which can actually prevent or do have got a, a, a um, an incentive not to allow Bitcoin to to propagate? But I think now over time, it's now being proven. Um, day by day, the different use cases and, and business models that, that this is being stemmed from Bitcoin, but those uh, arguments are null and void. Um, by the way, just just what it pops my head I forgot to mention earlier, um, you are saying around um, you know, the, the, the people dying in the, or, or being caused harm through the informal gold mines in, in Peru. Yeah. Well, the same is happening in the informal coal mining sector, like coal in South Africa. Uh, obviously, these coal mines are fueling the, the power stations. Um, so not only because there's a demand for coal, uh, is the informal coal mining sector happening, uh, which is, is dangerous, you know, coal mines collapse, and you know, shafts collapse. Uh, and, but then on, even once you've mined that coal, um, it's causing thousands and thousands of premature deaths each year through burning that coal in a coal power station. So more people in South Africa are, are, have, been, have died as a result of, of coal mining and coal fume inhalation than, than COVID. But yet, there's no emergency around coal use, but there's an emergency around COVID. Um, and there's always an argument um, around job losses when you transition to a new economy. Um, so you know, no doubt there will be job losses in the coal sector once you switch to, 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 um, to solar. But the, the good thing about that is that the, the jobs in the solar energy sector are not concentrated just in one region yeah. um, of, of, of where your coal mines are, so in this country, in South Africa, from Pumalanga. Um, solar jobs will be all over the country. And unlike coal mining, which is very automated with huge machines and excavators, um, which basically removes the need for labor, putting solar panels on roofs absolutely requires humans. There is no robot in the world that can install solar panels on a roof. So actually, if you were to switch off coal mines and move to solar, you're going to end up with vastly more jobs than you lost through switching off the coal mines. And those jobs are going to be safer, they're going to be cleaner, and they're going to be better paid. And they're going to be much more geographically distributed because everywhere there's a rooftop, you can have someone paid to put solar panels on that rooftop because solar panels are best installed at the point of use. So this job loss argument, again, it's probably lobbies of the coal mining sector yeah, proclaiming, oh, you're going to lose jobs. It's like, no, 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 no. The jobs in coal mining sector are already being lost purely through their efforts to automate. And um, 
That's the question now. Where, I mean, at the end of the day, it always links to politics and capitalism and money. So development will always be stifled by the people in power. That the development and the changes in technology not being to their best interest. But do you see solar as something that's in the future? Because, I mean, I've been looking at the figures and renewable energy is something that marginally is getting cheaper by year uh, in comparison to other energy sources. So in the future, do you see an environment or a world where solar contributes a large proportion to the energy grid, for example, in Africa, where there's a lot of sun, and then you have other sources in Europe and uh, whatever uh, the climate suits there? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I think I, I said earlier um, that three quarters of the world population will now find wind and solar the cheapest form of energy. And most of those people live in, in Africa and in, in Asia. Um, and if you live in the UK or Northern Europe, you'll find wind is still cheaper than the form of, uh, cheapest form of energy. So I literally, um, the reason why I was late to recording this podcast was I was actually writing out um, a comment on my, on my friend on Facebook who was just saying that, that nuclear energy is, is green and he supports it. But I had to point out that nuclear energy is basically locking yourself into a 50-year contract at a fixed price of energy. And renewables are getting cheaper and cheaper year on year. And already solar and storage, like solar with storage built in on a levelized cost of energy basis is now cheaper than nuclear energy. So anyone that's building a nuclear power station is basically building a, a, a loss-making machine because in 10 years time, the energy that it's outputting is going to be more expensive than the cheapest form of energy that people can otherwise use. So you're effectively going to be losing money. There's going to be running costs of a nuclear power station will exceed the revenues that you're earning from your nuclear power station. And then what's going to happen? These systems are supposed to have 50-year design lives. Who, who actually pays to dismantle um, and decommission a nuclear power station? It takes a decade to dismantle it and decommission it. And if you've had to turn off your nuclear power station halfway through, where does that money come from? It's going to come from the taxpayer. The, the public will have to pay to decommission a nuclear power station, or it will become, uh, it's going to disrepair and it's going to collapse. Um, Coburg nuclear power, nuclear power station in South Africa already has a crack. And ESCOM is already um, in, in financial difficulties. So who's going to pay to fix the nuclear power station? And of course, because it presents such a public threat, it will just come back to the public. Yeah. Um, so we might as well not build nuclear power stations now because we know that they are not um, cost-effective. And if they are on the verge of being cost-effective, then it's only a matter of time before they're not. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and finally, when you look at the, the, the costs of a nuclear accident and, and look at the cost of Fukushima in Japan, you could have built enough solar and wind to power the whole of Japan for the cost, that one nuclear cleanup. It's crazy. And I was looking at the radius for the Cape Town nuclear power plant as well. And if there was something to happen, I mean, Eskom, these are guys that are also struggling with a normal traditional electric power grid. And then how they have to maintain a nuclear power grid, that if anything was to happen, the radius is very, very close to uh, Eastern Cape and the rest of Cape Town. So, it would be very damaging, but there are also a lot of people who just don't know about it. I mean, they live in Cape Town and they don't know that there's this 
UK power station right there. So yeah, absolutely. And and like all nuclear power stations, it's located on the coast by the ocean. So in in the UK, they're building a new um, nuclear reactor there called Sidewell C. Um, they did a, an agreement with the, either the French or the Chinese for a fixed energy price for the next 50 years. Again, you're locking in a price, which is probably not going to be cost effective in the long run. Uh, but certainly it's by the ocean. Now the oceans are rising. They literally are rising and Britain is sinking. Um, I mean, I, I, my, my geography degree, um, and I have a master's degree in the science of climate change. Um, and sea, sea level rise happens in two directions because you have the sea itself, which rises, and then you have land which sinks, or, and land can also expand. But in the UK, the land is sinking as the sea is rising. So you actually get an accelerated sea level rise. As your, as your, as your land is moving down a, a millimetre a year, and your ocean is, in, is rising at one millimetre a year, your actual uh, uh, relative sea level rise is two millimetres. Um, and sea level rise is expanding, so it is accelerating. And so it's, it really is not going to be long before you're having much more frequent tidal surges so the, um, the Thames Barrage in London, I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of it, there's almost like a, a, a dam which folds up and down um, in, the, in the mouth of the Thames. Now that, that barrage was built for a one in 50 year event. So every, just in case there's a tidal surge, um, that, tends, that barrier would lift itself up, it would prevent a flood. Um, and that was built for one in 50 year tidal event. That barrier is now being risen three times a year because of the, the now the exaggerated tidal surges we're getting due to the amount more energy in the climate. Um, and so it is literally just a matter of time before London has a huge flood. And, and, and that just puts in perspective, it's a real world thing that's happening and it's being observed. So it's just a matter of time before there are floods that, that impact and meet the power stations. I mean, the, the Fukushima disaster was caused by a tsunami. Um, yeah, and that basically was a, a flooding event. So by the ocean, it's just a matter of time before sea level rise and ex exaggerated storm surges relative to climate change cause an, an accident purely with the forces of nature. Um, sometimes you think that uh, this comes from the stem of the fact that the people who are making politics or the traditional leader within institutions, you have people who are making decisions on topics that they have nothing about, they have no idea about. Because yes, it would actually make sense to have a scientist or someone who studies geography or these different things, or just have a panel of different uh, thought leaders to make this decision. But then sometimes you look at the room and you see people who know nothing about this and they make that decision because, oh, the numbers look good uh, because maybe they're not looking at it also at what could happen if this happens. So, it's actually a shame that where we come back to this thing again, why Bitcoin is also so popular because it's the thing about that's talking about decentralized. So decentralized solves a lot of the world's problems that if these decisions involve more people and it came from the ground up, then we wouldn't have such issues as well. And we would always look at the most efficient solution to most of the problems. But because it's usually a few people making decisions for millions, then we have these problems where everyone has to face the consequences of the decision of 10 to 20 people. Mm. I, think, I think especially that we, we've had the, the luxury uh, of living through a very extended period of both economic and environmental stability. Mm -hmm. As the past 100 years, 
maybe less since the Second World War, we've had an extended, profoundly stable period of economic growth and environmental stability. There have been no hugely disastrous natural disasters, um, and neither has there been a, 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 any wars really that have caused economic collapse or, or economic, uh, really, really, really highly detrimental economic collapse. Um, so I think that's put people in a false sense of security for planning for the future. We've had no major environmental catastrophes. You know, there's not been um, uh, a, a meteorite that's hit the earth and caused tsunamis. There's not been a supervolcano eruption. Um, then you can just kind of assume that, okay, the world is a very quiet, stable place. Let's just build a nuclear reactor by the ocean and just hope that we've got enough money to decommission it in the future because our economy is going to grow as a result of having this nuclear power station. So we'll be able to afford to fix it in the future that breaks. And I suppose by the sea and the sea is always going to be there, it's never really going to swell. Actually, that's completely not the point. I and mean, if there's a, if there's an economic disaster, if um if, if there is a meteorite that hits the earth, there are tsunamis, then the new capacities around the world are going to all melt down at the same time. And what are we going to do then? Um so I think that's the the, the planners just assume it's, it's much more convenient to assume the world is going to continue the way it is, um, rather than thinking, hang on a minute, what if what if there are the unlikely scenario that does actually occur, which is why it's always better to opt for the safe option and just put in some solar panels. <laughs> so, you know, if you, if you put the solar panels by the sea, there's a sea level flood. The worst you're going to get, you get some wet solar panels that may not work anymore and you can replace them. It's not going to, the land is not going to be contaminated. Mm -hmm. So it's for hundreds of years, which you would do with a nuclear power station. Um, do you think that it's a thing about uh, each, uh region of the world has its own energy source that they can use to the point that it's as efficient as Africa using solar panels. So for example, wind energy in Europe, uh, for example, in Scotland, but then also like in America, America, I think you can have a combination of all three where they have different varying climates, but then what do you think about that? that can the whole world reach a stage where they have a renewable energy source that they can rely on? Every every country has got um, the, the best resource, um, a, a best renewable resource, which makes it the most cost effective to uh, to tap into. Um, obviously, with solar power, as the price has come down, the the geographic regions where it's effective grows, um, and and the map expands. So, yeah, but back in 2006-2007, solar power was not economically viable in the UK, for example. Uh, there wasn't uh, any incentives, uh, there were no subsidies, so it was just literally not economically viable. In 2008-2009, the feed-in tariffs were announced. In 2010, the solar industry exploded in the UK because there was now a subsidy, and, the, and therefore the geographical region where solar was now viable went northward. Um, obviously, with that, that economic expansion came cost reduction. So uh, ultimately, the subsidies in the UK have now been removed, and you now have subsidy-free solar energy in the UK um, still. So yeah, that kind of shows how the as that economy grew, as the industry grew, the region where it's effective um, is retained. Um, so yes, I mean even a country like South Africa, there's tremendous wind resource and tremendous solar resource, and wind and wave resource. So really, it's the most. What's the most easy? What's the easiest thing to harness? Mm -hmm. And building mega projects out in in natural environments is always going to be an engineering challenge. You know, getting um, 
wind turbines installed in mountains is a huge challenge. It's, 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 there's a whole industry, very clever engineers making sure that happens. But I've always been advocate to say, look, let's just put solar panels on roofs with battery systems. It's so much easier to do. The roof is already built. It's already there to put your solar panels on. So you're putting solar panels producing power at the point of electricity use. And you can then start sharing energy between buildings via smart grids to minimize transmission losses of centralized power stations. Um, and really that's the, that's the future is a, is a mixed uh, a pool of generators trading energy between themselves. Yeah, I always have a utopian image where, I mean, like Africa has a lot of energy issues and it just doesn't make sense. But of course, the people themselves, because they use the economically not that um, well off. But then the government can do projects or people can do projects where they, I guess, they try to deal with all these different people, all these rules that these are people's homes. And you tell them, okay, we're going to plant a solar, some solar panels and this infrastructure on the top of your roof and you will get a certain cut, for example. You don't have to do anything. You create an agreement. It has to be done for insurance. And it's kind of this idea of um, servers, like kind of like how servers work, where you have different computers eventually creating a very powerful computer that can like host a whole website or host a different application. So now you have all these little different uh, rooftops that are actually contributing to a much larger grid. Yep, and, and that's not um, utopian, that is already happening. There are many companies across Africa already doing that, uh, one of which is called um, uh, Powerhive, and Powerhive is in Kenya, and they have, they're have solar powering rural villages and remote locations, uh, connecting hundreds of homes up at once to a, uh, to a solar grid, and that's enabled access to data, um, energy for productive use, so they can now start incubating eggs for chickens. You know, you're, you're basically catalyzing economic um, growth in very remote rural areas. Um, and in, in, traditionally, you know, the, the, and I've, I know this through, through first-hand observations, that the, the, you know, the working men in rural villages leave the villages to go to cities in order to seek work. Um, in order to get electricity access, mobile phone signal, you know, that, that's, where the, that's where the world is. But actually with the arrival of solar energy in a decentralized manner into rural areas, you are bringing the modern world to the rural area. And therefore you are, you are actually uh, pre preventing the need for um, urban sprawl and you know, men to leave their, their, their towns and, and sorry, their villages, leaving behind very important um, farming skills and, 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 and labor to go and live basically in a, in a slum outside a city in pursuit of a so-called better life. Yeah. Um, so bring, bringing energy systems to rural areas is absolutely a hugely profound uh, technological achievement that you can now bring affordable and clean power to remote, remote locations and do it quickly and not rely on transmission grids to, to move power to a very far out location. Bearing in mind that the amount of energy being used in such a village is going to be very small. So that's why they do not get connected to grids because the cost of getting all those wires from a power station, a coal power station, to a remote village is just not cost effective. And in the long so, um, yeah, you have to service them too. Like if something happens, then you have to go fix it. So exactly, and 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 they're, and they're not using enough electricity to to warrant um, the, the need for that. And that's really why rural electrification has been a big challenge um, across Africa. 
and, and how solar power is the, the kind of solution to that. Awesome. And yeah, I guess uh, these are things that I had thought about when I've never actually figured it that well that uh, the potential in the future for solar and how really fast it's happening. Yeah. Okay, so um, yeah. my voice is going dry now and um, and I, because I arrive late, so I have to uh, just jump off. Yeah, um, do you have any questions for me? No, I think that was everything. I think uh, this, uh, I think just a quick summary on the platform, because I think we went to the and solar and Bitcoin, just a quick summary on how like people can get there and like you can even just start and it's just, you can take yeah, it. So it's, yeah, it's really easy. Just, 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 just visit thesunexchange.com or just Google Sun Exchange, um, and then sign up. And you can choose any project that's available to solar power, um, and you click buy solar cells. Those solar cells will get installed onto the roof of that project, and then for every kilowatt hour of electricity your solar cells produce, you will earn the rate uh, given to you on on the website. So. Um, I highly recommend doing it. You can start with a single solar cell and you can also lock in a Bitcoin income stream to get paid in Bitcoin once a month for the next 20 years. Um, and yeah, I, I highly recommend it. I recommend it too. I'm a user of the Sun Exchange myself, as we said before, and I've enjoyed taking part in the different projects, some of them with a good humanitarian cause as well. But at the end of the day, you are contributing to the future of solar and renewable energy. So it's not a bad way to make some decent returns per year. Uh, so have fun building your own solar little villages. And if you have any questions, you can ask me. And Abe, thank you again for your time. No problem. Great. Awesome. Glad to hear it. Nice to speak to you. Nice to meet you. I'll uh, see you soon. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. Thank you guys again for joining and continuing to tune in. If you learned something, then I'm grateful. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to contact me through LinkedIn or Anchor as well. I'm wishing you a blessed and productive week. Stay healthy and safe. Bye.